Are we here? Oh, oh no. no. I don't want anything to do with this shit. Got rid of it. <laughs> In this man, it's somebody's son, brother, husband. Somebody's missing this person. It's hard to believe. Oh, yeah, totally. True crime story time. Absolutely. Hello, darling. Hello. Are we going to talk about murder? Murder? Uh, Brooks is having trouble with a microphone. Oh, you'd fit in well over here. Right, Rob. Right, Rob. How are you doing? I need help. <laughs> but you know what? If I try to do a posh accent, I can't do it. No? Go on, give no. It I don't believe I can. I, I can't stand it. <laughs> it's not bad, actually. It's not bad. <laughs> I love fun. accents. I love accents. Can you guys hear me? I can hear you now, yes. Oh, thank God. Sorry. I couldn't yeah. get my microphone to hook up. Nothing's glitching, nothing's yeah. echoing. This computer right. is way better. Anyway, um, <laughs> moving on. So we decided to do something different this time around. We're going to do two small um, mini-sodes, I guess you could say. Or what was it? True Crime Storytime Shorts. Or, or true crime short story, story time. time. Oh, or true crimes short story time. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to do that this episode and see how it goes. And the first person up is Raz. Now, Raz, I have to say, he has. we have heard this story before. It's been a while. You have not heard it, audience, because when we recorded this the first time, I accidentally deleted it. It, it did not come up at all to edit so he's gonna redo it and it's probably gonna sound even better so whenever you're ready no pressure (laughs) so this story is called who put bella in the witch elm on the 18th of april 1943 four local boys robert hart thomas willits bob farmer and fred payne were poaching what's otherwise known as bird nesting in hagley wood which is part of the Hagley estate that belonged to Lord Cobham near Witchbury Hill when they came across a very large witch home. Thinking the location to be a particularly good place to search for a bird's nest, Farmer attempted to climb the tree to investigate. As he climbed, he glanced down into the hollow trunk and discovered a skull. At first, he believed it to be that of an animal, but after seeing human hair and teeth still on it, he realised that he had actually found a human skull. As they were on the land illegally, Farmer put the skull back and all four boys returned home without mentioning their discovery to anybody. However, on returning home, the youngest of the boys, Thomas Willits, felt uneasy about what he had witnessed and decided to report the find to his parents. So can you imagine being found finding a skull in a tree? No. Insane. I don't think anybody imagines that. <laughs> when police checked the trunk of the tree, they found an almost complete skeleton with a shoe, a gold wedding ring, and some fra- fragments of clothing. The skull was valuable evidence in that it still had some tufts of hair and a clear dental pattern, despite missing some teeth. After further investigation, the remains of a hand were found some distance away from the tree. The body was sent for exact forensic examination by James Webster. He quickly established that it was that of a female who had been dead for at least 18 months. Placing the time of death in or before October 1941. 
Webster also discovered a section of tuffets in her mouth, suggesting that she had died from suffocation. All right. Yeah, yeah. Question. Did we discuss, because I think it got a little glitchy at the beginning, what is a witch helm? It's a tree. It's a very large tree. tree. So like a large hollow tree? Yes. And what is tuffets? Bits of fabric. Okay, because in my mind, I'm thinking like dessert. (laughs) Oh, you're thinking tuffets and whey. Yeah, something like that. And I'm like, so she died with dessert in her mouth. Okay, (laughs) go ahead. Sorry. Oh, it's fine. (laughs) From the measurement of the trunk in which the body had been discovered, he also deduced that it must have been placed there while still warm after the killing, as it could not have fitted once rigor mortis had taken hold. Police could tell from items found with the body what the woman had looked like. But with so many people reported missing during the Second World War, records were too numerous for a proper identification to take place. They cross-referenced the detail they had with reports of missing persons throughout that region, but none of them seemed to match the evidence. In addition, they contacted dentists all over the country, since the dentistry was actually quite distinctive. Then, in 1944, a graffiti message related to the mystery appeared on a wall in Upper Dean Street, Birmingham, reading, Who put Bella down the witch elm? Hagley Wood. How far away is that from the tree? It's the area where the tree is. It's in the same town. Okay. Okay. Well, I have a question since we pause. So you said that they found fragments of hair and teeth. Did did they hit? Shush! Shush it! <laughs> Can you hear him whine? Somebody wants attention. Jesus. Um. Yeah. So the color, did the hair have color to it still, or it didn't say? It just said they had tufts of hair. Okay. I know that was a weird question. No, it's fine. <laughs> this provided investigators with several new leads for tracing who the victim could have been. Other messages in the same hand appeared too. Since at least the 1970s, similar graffiti has been sporadically appeared on the Hagley obelisk, near to where the woman's body was discovered, which asks the slightly modified, who put Bella in the witch home? There was a TV show called Nazi Murder Mysteries, which actually did a forensic facial reconstruction at the Liverpool University. Oh, no shit? Um, Really? Yeah, from photographs of the skull. I know it was in put into books from the incident as well. Um, I'll have to send you that to show you what it looks like. Well, here, I'll look it up real quick. Um, if you type in Bella Witch Elm and it's spelled W-Y-C-H. Okay, here we go. And then maybe reconstruction or something like that. Oh, so they did. So it, was it a bust or was it actual picture? Okay, these are pictures that people took trying to be creepy. The fuck? <laughs> I see the skull. Oh, the hair is coming out of its eye. Yes. Holy moly. That's insane. Ugh. Oh, they don't have a picture of the bus. That's okay. I'll see if I got to see the out. tree in the, the skull, though. There are a couple of theories. There's uh, in 2014, uh, a Radio 4 program by Steve Punt suggested that there's two possible victims. One possible victim was reported to the police in 1944 by a Birmingham sex worker. In the report, she stated that another sex worker who was called Bella, who worked on the Hagley Road, had disappeared about three years previously. And the name Bella, or Lou Bella, suggested the graffiti writer was probably aware of the identity of the victim. Mm. Second possibility 
directive came from a statement made to police in 1953 by Una Mossop. She stated that her ex-husband, Jack Mossop, had confessed to family members that he and a Dutch man called Van Rout had put the woman in the tree. Mossop and Van Rout met for a drink um, at the Wayton Arms, which is a pub in the town. Later that night, Mossop said the woman became drunk and passed out while they were driving. The men put her in the hollow tree in the woods in the hope that in the morning she would wake up and be frightened and then seeing the error of her ways. Jack Mossop was confined to a Stafford mental hospital because he had recurring dreams of a woman staring out at him from a tree. Yikes. He died in the hospital before the body in the witch elm was ever found. The likelihood of this being the correct explanation is questioned because Una Mossop did not come forward with this information until more than 10 years after Jack Mossop had died. Okay, so he said he was seeing the woman's eyes through the tree. Or- he said he was seeing woman's eyes through the tree. Okay, but that was before they found her? It was a year before they'd found the woman in the tree. But this is oh, according dude. to the wife, though, right? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the thing. Like if if people at the hospital were saying, oh, he told us about this, you know, before she was found or whatever, that'd be different. But this is his wife coming after the fact. This is 10 years after he died. Yeah. Hmm. Um, Another theory comes from an MI5 declassified file about Joseph Jacobs, who was the last man to be put to death in the Tower of London on the 15th of August, 1941. I don't know if I'm pronouncing this Right, but it says an Abwehr agent had parachuted into Cambridgeshire in 1941, but broke his ankle when landing and was soon arrested by the Home Guard. On his person was found a photo perfect story of his lover, a German cabaret singer and actress named Claude Burrell. Jacob said that she was being trained as a spy and that he had made contact. She might have been sent over to England after him. However, there is no evidence that Clara Burrell was parachuted into England and several... Witnesses described that Clara was around six feet tall, while Bella was five foot tall. In September 2016, it was determined that Clara Burrell had actually died in Berlin on the 16th of December 1942. Then, in 1945, Margaret Murray, an anthropologist and archaeologist at the University of London, proposed a more radical theory of witchcraft because she believed that the severing of one's hand was consistent with a ritual called the Hand of Glory after the victory had been killed by gypsies during an occult ritual. Her ideas excited the local press and led investigators to consider another seemingly ritualistic killing of a man called Charles Walton in the nearby area. Um, The last one is in 1953, there was another theory that surfaced, namely that the victim was a Dutch woman called Clara Bella Dronkers and that she had been killed by a German spy ring consisting of a British officer, a Dutch man and a music hall artist for knowing too much, but there are no records or evidence around to support that theory. And that has been it. There's never been anything else. They've never all. discovered who actually that was? No, they've never discovered who it actually they, was. They like, do they still have the teeth and stuff? They, they still have the have, hair? They still have all that evidence, but there's nothing to search it along the lines of, really. That's so sad. Sad and crazy. I mean, at the moment, you're seeing a lot of results coming from genealogy tests, so you never know. Maybe one day they could find someone if right. you're relatives. Yeah. There's been so much of that. I mean, you and I have been fascinated by this. I I know. Yeah, there's been, been so many cold cases about it. 
The yeah. thing that gets me is I like how, and I think it's even still that way today. Of course, I don't live over there. You do. But it's like travelers are such easy scapegoats. Yes, very much. It's still. It's, it's, it's crazy to me how much people could get away with just by blaming travelers. Oh, it's, you'd be surprised. Yeah. It, it, I mean, there's some of that here, but nowhere near to the, to the scale of, of Europe and nowhere near but it's yeah that's that's sad it's a strange one i'll have to send you some pictures of the graffiti and everything as well yeah yeah we'll i want to see that on yeah. the page if the page ever gets back up i think yeah, it's going to be back that. up in three weeks okay well we'll pray yeah. i definitely want to see that recreation mm-hmm. yeah all right that was a good job, razzle-dazzle. But I do Sorry, find I it strange how, you know, over the years there's still been graffiti been putting up. Yeah. So, yeah, that just goes to show, yeah. like, somebody like knows something. A, a legend. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I it could. Go ahead, Brooke. It could be because, you know, they don't want her to disappear. They want the case to be solved. Yeah. But I feel like at some point, at one point in time, it had to be someone who knew something had to do something with it, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. From there. Oh, yeah. But, you know, it, I mean, and, and a lot of people would probably scratch their head and raise their eyebrow at me. But the putting somebody in the tree as a prank or something like that sounds very plausible to me because I know people that would have put somebody in a tree. No, that's the thing. It was funny. That's the thing. Like, I, yeah. I totally believe that because. How many times have we done something like that to be funny? Yeah. A lot of people play pranks on each other. Yeah. And, and you know, it can go wrong. I mean, they have so gone wrong. That sounds very plausible to me. The fact that his wife waited until 10 years after, I'm going to call her Bella for lack of a, um, 10 years after Bella was found, that's kind of sus because it, it just. I call bullshit on that. Yeah. That, I mean, but. That's why I'm saying that her story sounds plausible, but waiting to come forward for t- that long kind of puts all the doubt in the world on the story. Yeah. Right. The, the sooner one that, it, the uh, better. The one thing that I think about is I wonder how that boy who found the school turned out. Right. Oh. That must oh. have been traumatic. We got to yeah. do some research on that. I would like to know that too. I will let you know how we'll cook. Okay. Good job, Raz. Thank you. Very good job. (laughs) Very interesting. Follow that, I also. I was here to to say, I don't want to follow that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but I, I will, I will stand up to the challenge. You will do it. You go, girl. I love you, Russ. Okay. I am bringing you the true crime short story time of one Lisa Wedby. Okay. Lisa Wedby was born in 1962. Uh, her, Her name, her last name when she was born was Outlaw. Great name. That is a great name. Right. Um, she was born near Knoxville, Tennessee. 
Uh, she was always described as very popular, outgoing, beautiful, athletic. Uh, you know, she was a track star, just the all-American, blonde-haired, you know, great girl. Um, in 1979, at a stoplight, which people described years for years as what they call a meet-cute, um, 17-year-old Lisa met 19-year-old Rob Wedby. Rob was the male equivalent. He was good-looking, athletic, popular, well-liked, successful in school, just this, you know, all-around great guy. It's like um, something you see in a film. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what they were. They I don't know if she was a cheerleader, but he was definitely a football player. Sports then, which cheerleading can be considered a sport, but she was more into track. Yeah. He asked her out that first night and that was it. They they were inseparable from then on. They said, you know, Rob, the handsome bodybuilder and her, the pretty little petite blonde. They just made the most perfect American couple. They were together for a couple of years, just two years when she graduated from high school and they got married. Uh, excuse me. I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> I'm like, she's either going to sneeze or she's going to cry. I don't know. I know. I do. Broke. I can't stop laughing at Sorry. In the background. <laughs> My dog. Dakota. So, look doing? at him. He's so mopey. I know, just I'm, gonna... there, like, I'm, I'm waiting. <laughs> like, God, Mom, this is ridiculous. <laughs> uh, okay, sorry. You're okay. Fall allergies are killing me. So they get married um, two years after meeting, right after Lisa gets out of high school. Rob is working for his family's insurance business and Lisa worked with them doing basic office work. She was like, you know, an administrative assistant, a nice little home, little fixer upper. And in April of 1986, they had their first child, their little prince, their son, Justin was born and he was everything that his parents was little, perfect, blonde haired, blue eyed, little cherub cheek boy. And for the next few years, everything was great. They were fixing up their home. They were working. They were raising their son. And they decided to add to this great picture. And in 1990, Lisa gave birth to their second child, a little girl by the name of Brittany. But things took a little, um, got a little bit dampened when they found out that Brittany had Down syndrome. Okay. After they were told about Brittany's condition, according to Rob, Lisa was never the same. It's very common for people born with Down syndrome to have heart defects, and Brittany did. And she required several surgeries over the next few years. What? I mean, speaking from personal experience, my daughter was born with a heart defect, and it was terrifying. I'm so sure. I get a I'm little smidge of what they, yeah. Right. But they, you know, they just went on. They said Brittany was daddy's girl. Everywhere Rob went, he had one of the kids with him. And he never hesitated for to take Brittany wherever he went, you know, and like he would any other child. And everybody said Rob was very proud of both of his children. But Lisa had a more difficult time adjusting to life with a special needs child. And it was 
on different, you know, several different facets. She didn't like the image of having what she didn't think was a perfect child, the way her son, Justin was. And it was very difficult, but, you know, she, at this point, she was a stay at home mom with, you know, a toddler and a special needs child. And it's can be very stressful. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I have, you know, I have a special needs child and it was, I mean, and it's everything from finding somebody to babysit to learning how they communicate. It's it's definitely oh, yeah. you know difficult to do. It gets into uh, every part of your life, really. Every single. It's part very of it. stressful, and, and it it very much like thins you out. You just oh, it like, does. You're just and done. like yeah. I couldn't even communicate with my child. She was deaf, so I had to learn a whole new language just to communicate with the child that I gave birth to. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it was, it was definitely challenging. So I, I get a little bit of it. I, I, you know, it's different, well, on, but I get a little bit. On of top it. of that, I'm sure going through all this stuff, she probably had postpartum as well. And that shit's no joke. So. Um, it wasn't mentioned. So I didn't speculate. Right. Um, okay. But anything that I read or saw or watched or anything, it would stand a reason. I mean, postpartum depression is not uncommon anyway, but then at the circumstance and I wouldn't say it was, you know, not possible, but I didn't see it mentioned anywhere. Gotcha. But, you know, after a few years of this, the strain was taking a toll on Lisa. Also their marriage. Mm -hmm. Lisa mentioned divorce a few times, but Rob just wanted to keep trying. He didn't want to give up on what they had had before. He was hoping they could get it back. And Lisa agreed. And one of the things that they thought might help them was um, going to church, which a lot of people, you know, they depend on their faith to help them through these kind of things. Mm -hmm. She started attending church regularly. And they said it was like that old saying, um, when did she go to church? When the doors were open. Rob was more sporadic. He would go to church, you know, like Christmas, Easter, that kind of thing. But Lisa really seemed to get into it and the structure of it was helping her a great deal. I want to say with church, with any religion, really, a place of worship, it's not just about your religion. It can also be a community. Oh, right. absolutely. Right. And to extend that further, she joined the choir. The choir was directed by a man by the name of Michael Frazier. Uh, he grew up a PK, preacher's kid, and he grew up to be what people refer to as a chain-smoking journalist that played the organ with, this is a quote, with the, okay, sorry, I couldn't read my own writing, with the dramatic flair of Phantom of the Opera. Oh, man. <laughs> nice. Uh, and he was also a journalist. And for Mother's Day in 1993... Yeah. He wrote a newspaper article about Lisa titled A Mother's Nightmare, A Mother's Dream. The article was about parenting a special needs child, about her care and devotion to Brittany. It was, by all accounts, a beautiful piece, but it made Rob kind of suspicious because he was not mentioned at all. Not even so much of Lisa and husband Rob and then go on. He was not mentioned in this article at all. And Lisa started spending more and more time at choir practice. And I'm doing finger quotes here, choir practice. Mm. Uh, because practice would be over at seven, but Lisa would rarely make it home before 11 o'clock. And Rob said he tried to ignore it, but it just didn't, he didn't want to make trouble. So he just pretended like he didn't see it. So basically, um, he was trying not to play a devil's advocate, really. He didn't right. want to. 
No, he right. knew deep down. He knew deep down. He just didn't want to believe it. Mm. If you don't poke the snoring bear, it doesn't wake up. Mm-hmm. On the evening of June 8th, 1994, Rob came home after a softball game to find that their son, Justin, was spending the night with his grandparents and Brittany was already in bed. So he ate the dinner that Lisa had left for him and decided to catch up on some paperwork. So he's in his home office and Lisa comes in wearing lingerie, asking coyly if he was going to be working all night. Rob said he was so happy about this attention that it never occurred to him to question it. So he followed his wife upstairs for a little romance. A few hours later, around 2 a.m., Rob was woken up to the smell of cigarette smoke. They didn't smoke, so the scent was definitely out of place in their home. Pretty strong, yeah. Exactly. Even after I quit smoking, the smell of my mom smoking outside would wake me up. Mm -hmm. As he woke up, he realized that Lisa was not in bed beside him. And as his eyes adjusted to the room, he realized that there was a silhouette at the foot of the bed. And that silhouette had their arm raised with a knife in their hand. Wow. Okay. So it's that guy she's having an affair with. So Rob said the next moment they were on top of him trying to cut his throat. And they began to struggle. And Rob was cut a few times during this. Rob said Lisa appeared in the doorway holding a baseball bat. And he, he yells for her. But Lisa appeared to be frozen. Then the assailant yells to Lisa, you've got to do it. You've got to do it now. Rob realized he was outnumbered. He was able to throw off the masked man and jump off the bed. And as he ran out of the room, he grabbed the bat from Lisa, who was still standing frozen at the door. So he's running through the house bleeding and the assailant gave chase and he caught up to Rob in the garage and Rob stopped and he squared up to the guy with the baseball bat. He said he could then get a better look at who was attacking him. And he immediately realized that the masked man was indeed none other than Michael Frazier wearing a Phantom of the Opera t-shirt. Shut the fuck up. Yep. Oh, boy. Uh, (laughs) So the diminutive and Frazier was not a big guy. So he's standing there and he realized that he was no match for Rob. So he ran back inside and locked the door. <laughs> so Rob's trying prize, to get back dude. in, and, right? Rob's trying to get back in, but he can't. And I mean, at this point, he's outside in nothing but his underwear, bleeding, and he can't get back in the house. And he still hasn't put it quite together that it was Michael and Lisa. So he's thinking, my wife, my baby. Yeah, he's in shock. Right. And then it dawns on him hey, wait a minute. No. This is not something that, you know, so he goes outside in the cold and he starts banging the bat on these old metal gutters that were on their house. And thankfully, a neighbor heard and came running and called the police. And they said the officers were there within like two minutes. But Michael Frazier was gone. And Lisa was putting on an act as if she you know, was as stunned as Rob was. She didn't, you know, oh my goodness, you know, that kind of thing. Rob told the police that Lisa was definitely working with Frazier and Lisa was immediately taken into custody after he heard, they heard what Rob had to say. The police go to talk to Michael Frazier, but he hadn't returned home yet. So they sat and waited for him. And when he did come home, he was still wearing the same clothes. The bloody Phantom of the Opera t-shirt. 
he admitted to the off to the affair with Lisa and the plot to kill Rob immediately. That day, Lisa was charged with solicitation and attempted murder, and Rob was charged with attempted murder. So Michael Frazier went on trial in September of 1995, and the defense said that that while he was trying to kill Rob, that it was because Lisa was being brutally abused by Rob. Oh. Now, say this, we don't know. No. The situation lends to it being a tall tale to cover her ass. Mm-hmm. But you, nobody knows what goes on in somebody else's house. No, no one knows what goes on behind closed doors. Exactly. Right. So... Lisa is telling Michael that she's being horribly abused and, you know, she she's afraid to leave him because, you know, she's afraid of what will happen and who will take care of her, you know. Mm-hmm. And, oh, I forgot to mention, Michael Frazier was also married. <laughs> of course he was. I could oh. find nothing on his wife, not a single picture, not what happened to them later nothing on his wife wow she went but, into uh deep i mean deep. i would too i guess yeah. yeah so they he took the stand in his own defense and he said you know he, he and he's this tiny little he looked like you know he had this very short curly just justin timberlake type hair and he's <laughs> mousy looking little guy and Rob had testified, and he's this big bodybuilder guy who was justifiably pissed. So he's on the stand and he's angry. And then there's the juxtaposition of this tiny little, I'm a little journalist, organ player, you know, and my friend was being abused by that big, mean guy. The jury, I mean, he was found guilty because he admitted that he had done it. Yeah. There was kind of no way to get around that. So, but instead of murder, he was convicted of attempted manslaughter, which makes absolutely no sense because they planned the shit. Yeah, this was premeditated. Exactly. Isn't manslaughter worse though? I no, I no, no, okay. no. Manslaughter is if I'm, manslaughter I'm is like accidental with a gun death. and wow. fire it wow. down the street and somebody gets killed, as opposed to planning it out, which is murder. Okay. Lisa went on trial the next year in June in 1996, but there would be no trial. She took an Alfred plea and we've talked about this before, but I'll, I'll make sure people understand that means that the defendant doesn't claim that they are guilty, but they admit the preponderance of evidence is enough that they would likely be found guilty. She received. How is that a thing? I I don't. The American justice system. American justice system. She received less than a year jail time and three years probation. So, so Michael wait, Frazier, you said she got, she had jail time? Less than a year. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. But it's premeditated attempted murder. I know. I know. Was she, she white? Oh, yeah. Remember the blonde hair, blue blonde eyes? Hair, oh, blue yeah, that's eyes. right. Yeah. Michael Frazier served his four years. and. He has, only thing I could find is he has since died. Even at the end of the episode of Snapped, it says we have no information on the circumstances. What about their kids? I don't know if, no, Michael Frazier was the guy who helped her 
not the husband. Uh, Rob is still alive. Oh, okay. I thought you were saying, sorry. No, 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 no. I'm talking about Michael Frazier, the guy who tried to kill him. All right. So Um, he just disappeared though. I don't know how he died. I don't know if him and his wife, Tracy, were still married. I don't know anything. And Mm -hmm. I will apologize, but I couldn't find anything. Right. Sometimes, guys, like, since we're doing a pretty amateur podcast, a lot of podcasters that are popular and have the money to have someone research shit for them and stuff, it's a lot easier to get more information. But we're just going off of what we can find. You should have got a PIA also. By the time of her conviction, Lisa had already remarried. (sighs) So, like, when she was sentenced and got put in handcuffs, her husband was at the front. Yep, she was already remarried to a man named Keith Weatherly. She served her sentence and relocated with her husband to North Carolina. And she has never seen Justin and Brittany again. Oh, probably She's probably living a life. It probably just worked out just fine for her. Yeah, I I I found her Facebook page. She looks pretty <gasps> she looks pretty healthy and happy. It's an open Facebook page. I'm not doing any, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, she's you know, still got her blonde I'm hair. I'm gonna prove to you guys how fucking weird I am. I'm gonna tell you to send me that link because I wanna see it. <laughs> I just I just went into Facebook and searched Lisa Weatherly and there she was. It wasn't like someone with the same name that could no 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 you know you can tell it's her if you look at the picture of her when she was younger you can absolutely tell it's her no question about it and rob uh, wedby he raised justin and Brittany on his own he now owns his own insurance agency and he also co-wrote a book about the situation aptly named rude awakening (laughs) right (laughs) Um, I mean, and if he is remarried or anything, I, I again, I couldn't find anything on that. I don't think he has. I don't think I would either. No, oh, but no, he's still living, still living in Tennessee and raised Justin and Brittany and in the same Brittany. house. Uh, you know what? I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. Moral of the story. Men stay away from women. <laughs> <laughs> don't let your genitals make your decisions for you. Okay, well that—that's hard for you men out there. That's hard. Oh, it's, hey, it's hard it for is. a lot of women too. It's very hard. <laughs> no, no pun intended. <laughs> You're correct. Yeah, you did it. You said it. I know. I'm a pervert. I'm sorry. Yeah, I couldn't get over the whole. Oh, he and again, we don't know what happened yeah. in somebody else's marriage but there was there's usually whiffs of something there's usually some kind of telltale sign there's usually some well, I mean, if she was being abused would you know she'd be in i mean i don't know but it, it, just in my opinion in my thoughts it'd be things like she'd be scared to be home late from choir practice absolutely like there would be gonna, signs Right, because there would be repercussions. Be angry. Yeah. Gonna, yeah. I mean, it's I a mean, touchy subject, so, you know, you don't want to project onto it. But Well, you never want a victim blame either. No. You know? But, yeah, that, that, that story is, um, it's fascinated me because I just can't believe how easily those two got off. Yeah. That, that's insane to me. That's, Obviously that's planned. Big, 
thing in my head is I keep going, but she premeditated it. Right. She premeditated right. it. They planned it. Right. Sorry. But, you know, the way that you did tell it, though, I kept just thinking in the back of my mind, like, what if I were to walk into a room knowing something bad's happening in there, grab a bat, stand in the hallway, and be shocked of what the fuck you're just seeing, even if you planned it already? Yeah. She could have been shocked still. And no, she knew couldn't do happening. anything. She knew it was happening, but the sight of it still could have shocked her. Well, I mean, there, there's that fight or flight thing. And you know, they say fantasy is different to reality. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's true. And, the, you know, the whole fight or flight thing, like if it's if it's somebody that I'm worried, I love and I'm worried about them, I'm going to fight. If it's just me or somebody that I don't know, I'm flighting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm flighting right on out of there. But you let somebody come after Dave or one of my kids or even one of my dogs. <gasps> oh, you can eat this baseball bat. Plot twist. Plot twist. The husband had something to do with it. And they actually really wanted to kill Michael Fraser. <laughs> Why? I don't know. This would be a good plot <laughs> twist, okay? So, <laughs> well, this was fun. Sorry for the technical difficulties. Oh, That's fine. okay. 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 Right. Okay. Okay. All right. Love you guys. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.